If you've got a Bible, we're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, very familiar psalm, if you want to meet me there. I know that Justin mentioned that uh, June has been a very busy month, and it has, and so I thought I'd just take a couple seconds and share with you from my vantage point of, of what I've seen and, and kind of the things to be encouraged by or pray for. Um, uh, we started off this month uh, summer camp. You know, I think I think the number was 600 or so folks. We took to San Diego for that June date, and uh, it's just always so encouraging every year. But you know, you try to assess kind of what is the special thing that God might be doing. I asked Justin um, before last hour, like, what were the key points that he witnessed, and he mentioned just this idea of restoration and and relationship. Um, that in his small group, um, like represents life, there are people who should not, should not like each other, but do because of Jesus, right? And this room kind of represents that. We probably would never, ever hang out, but Jesus makes us one. And, and so God restores people, but he, he, there were so many conversions at camp. At one moment, we did this uh, um, kind of testimony time, and kids were just sharing what God had done, and I think Matt asked how many kids have made professions of faith, and I think there was 30 to 40 students that raised their hands. Re- really amazing, amazing things. Um, I-, I just love that. I love the fact that that one of our passions at Redemption has been, and will always be, to care for, train up, and raise another generation, and it's coming, uh, and I'm excited about that. Uh, got home two days later, got in a plane and flew to Alaska, and uh, is a little tip from me to you. I don't like small planes at all, all right? Um, so apart from that, it was okay um, for me. The trip was wonderful. Watching people serve and, you know, the brokenness. I mean, someone asked me earlier, Cameron and I were talking about Alaska. Alaska, to me, uh, there's a sense of spiritual darkness there, to me. Um, you, you can see it in the, the people that call it home and... and uh, and it's clear in the division of the, of the summer camp that they were doing for the junior high kids. There were native kids and there were kind of summer resident kids and, and in between. And you could tell that there was, there was um, the gospel was needed there. And uh, so I was so encouraged by watching our people um, kind of get in there and, and really knock themselves out for 10 days to serve these these students in any way you can imagine. And uh, it, it's what I'd call, once you get over the fact that Alaska is almost on everyone's bucket list and two days later you realize, oh, I'm here for a week and a half and I got to care for these kids. And all of that goes away and you're in a zone. And, and our people, that week I was there. And then, of course, we've got a group that are coming back tomorrow. So two weeks we had at that camp there. God's doing some amazing things all around um, from track camp that I know Justin was at last week and the week before. <clears throat> so be encouraged, church. I mean, all the things that we value of seeing people come to know Jesus and go deeper with him and, and the next generation. It's happening all over June. Very, very busy month, but I'm excited that we got to do it. I... Uh, Flew back on Thursday, so I left maybe four days before everybody else did, and uh, the way they fly you there out of Port Allsworth is you have to take whatever plane and whatever space, so they weigh you and they weigh your luggage, and when the next available spot shows up, they stick you in it like a mail slot, and you're out of there, okay? And I was flying out with uh, Josh Prather. Josh Prather is kind of in redemption world. He oversees missions, uh, community and global engagement, Okay. And he was there to observe and to preach and to do different things. And we were leaving on Thursday. And so Thursday afternoon, they found this four-seater plane for us to ride on the way back to Anchorage. And our seats faced 
rearward, okay? Which is a little interesting when you don't like to fly. In fact, flying's not my problem as a confession. I don't want to fall, okay? <laughs> flying is, if someone could say, here's a promise, you're not going to fall, I'd be okay. It's that hole. This is it. This is it. You know, all the way to Anchorage. But we were facing the tail of the plane, and it was just wagging like a kite in the wind, and, and Josh was asleep. So <laughs> I was alone uh, for that whole thing. But we spent probably 12 hours to 14 hours together waiting for the next plane to leave out of Anchorage at 1.30 in the morning. And we got to know each other pretty good. And we were talking about different things. And he's, he's a millennial. He's 20 to 25 years younger than I am. And we started talking about our perspectives of the world. And uh, so I know I sound like an old duffer at this point. But, but my perspective was, in essence, things are getting worse. And, uh, and I don't know if it's right or not. It's only how I feel, but I, you can't, I can't watch the news. I, I mean, every day I have this, I have this uh, phone app. I don't have a computer at my house, but I have my smartphone. And the USA Today is, is uh, I guess, set to send me updates, news updates when it happens. Well, the thing's blowing up every other day. Somebody got shot and they're bombing and everything. Big news, big news. Somebody's getting indicted. I, I don't know all day long it happens that way. Then I come home from Alaska and I open up my email and it's littered with stories of people who are hurting and people who I love who are sick and have been sick again and sick again and are in the hospital and you wonder when they're going to get out. And there's a part of me, the anxious part of me, the part that wants to bury my head in the sand really does think it's worse. You know, I'd rather go go back to Mayberry and just watch Andy do his thing because it, it just it sometimes gets a little bit heavy. Those of you who know that's an Andy Griffith reference, you're welcome. Um, it just seemed darker to me. Um, and, and the older I get, I, when I was younger, I used to just blow it off. Like, you know, water off a duck's back, another story, move on. For some reason, and I don't know if you can share this with me if you're old enough to admit it, but it affects me more now. Like, I feel it. <clears throat> I don't know what to do. I can't do anything else about it, but it affects me more. And it might, might be why my reaction to it is it's worse. It's just so much worse. And, uh, and I think sometimes it confuses us. If you share that perspective, you may wonder, how in the heck is this all going to turn out? Like, it, really? They just caught a guy who's planning a terrorist act in Phoenix? Am I going to go to the mall? And am I going to, you know? It's just like, this is out of control. And, and so we might, at moments in the chaos, feel like this thing is outside of, of what's right, and we're confused and wondering if we're going to be all right. And I understand how that might make some sense because my perspective is about that big. I don't see everything. I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what's going on or how things are going to turn out. I have a very limited understanding of things. But we're here, and I'm, I'm assuming you got in the car and drove here this morning because we believe in a bigger narrative. There's a bigger thing happening in our world. Specifically, we believe in the narrative that God is sovereign, and this is his world. And he is a loving God who is in complete control of everything, and, and he is, is, is doing things in and around us. Um, but there is this reality in the suffering and pain that we see. There is a, a fear and a doubt and a confusion that comes from all these things. To such a degree, even believers, even the church can struggle with the question, why? 
I, I, I told you before that I've been running recently, and I don't run with music or anything else. On Thursday, I think it was Thursday, it was the most humid day I could ever remember in Phoenix. It had just finished raining. I was running at six. I was drenched, all right, just soaking wet. And I, somehow my mind started to wander about thoughts of God, like how people think of God. And what came to mind was how some, some folks would say, I'm angry at God. I'm, I'm mad at God right now. I mean, that's a, that's a narrative, a little line that I've heard many, many times. Then I asked my question. I don't normally do this. I said, you ever been angry at God? Like, could you ever point to a time where you were just really fed up with him? And, and I don't know if I have a good enough memory to recall that stuff, but I'm certain that I've acted out. You know, when you feel like you're doing everything the right way or trying and, and you believe what you think is the right things and something terrible happens or something doesn't go the way you think it should go. And f- for me, I had to confess that I probably have locked up a time or two in my life, which is the essence of being mad at God. Like, okay, we're going to stop this right now. And, uh, and there's, this, there's this reality in, in all the pain, all the trouble, all the hardship that we wrestle with. Why? I believe one of the biggest obstacles to experiencing who God is and the presence of God in trouble or to understand that we are to walk out our faith in crisis has to do with what we understand of God. I mean, our, you know, what someone once said, that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God, and I think everyone's version of what they believe about God is somewhat twisted. It's not fully developed, right? Because we're, we're either coming from an expectation or a demand or a bad theology or whatever, and, and, and there are moments we're thinking clearly, and then second moment, we're not thinking so clearly. And I think, I think there are times when we either, one, are ignorant, we just don't know how God is, what God is, what he does, or... Um, or we forget. In its simplest fashion, we forget all the things that we've learned from God. And so because um, we don't understand what the scriptures reveal about him, we have a tendency to misinterpret what happens. So when the trouble and the strife come in our life, we could say something like, well, that's just great. He's a busy God. He's, in, he's indifferent. I mean, God's out in the world doing something God does, but he doesn't do my stuff. He isn't in my suffering. He's not in my pain. He's not in my story. He's busy somewhere else. Or, or it might even be worse than that when you don't understand a fully picture of God when some trouble or some weight happens in your life. You go so far as to, as to kind of think God is intentionally cruel. Like God is bringing this pain and this suffering and this trouble just because he, he gets off on the pain and the suffering. And both of those thoughts would be completely inaccurate. And I think you know that. It doesn't, doesn't stop us from time to time to wonder about where God is in this, in this story. Neither of those negative conclusions about God are true. And so that's why we're in Psalm 23 today because I want to take you there. And by the way, I, I did this Psalm 20, 23 a year ago. So if you're hearing it again, the sovereignty of God wants you to get it, Okay. So we're doing it again, because in our schedule, Psalm 23 is next. And Psalm 23 is, is in my mind, and I think in, in most people's mind, a beautiful, beautiful picture of God. Now, it does several things. It paints a picture of us pretty clearly, too, but it is a wonderful narrative of, of who our Lord is. Um, you've heard me say before that I love word pictures, the Bible's uh, classic in using word pictures and illustrations. 
For instance, when Jesus wants to make a point about religious establishment of his day and he calls out the Pharisees or the scribes and says, you are full of dead men's bones, doesn't that paint a picture in your head? When he calls them a bunch of snakes, doesn't that paint a picture in a relationship between him and, and them in your mind? It, it should. When, when Paul, the apostle, is talking about what it is to live this Christian life and, and to do it, he, he uses athletic terminology, so fight in such a way or run in such a way or wrestle, and so paints a picture of the, of the energy and, and the, the amount of effort put into our pursuit of, of Christ. So it's very helpful. But one of the greatest and most, most used word pictures in the scriptures is the word picture of us being sheep and him being the shepherd. And I know you know this. It's, it's over and over again. In fact, you probably have a fridge magnet somewhere with it on it, right? Or a bumper sticker somewhere of this, this idea. Jesus used it in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. If all you had was that sentence and Jesus as a subject, you'd kind of go, okay, that's how this works with him. We are his sheep, and we follow him, and he leads us. Great, great depiction. In uh, Matthew 28, Jesus' description of the future coming judgment day divides people who believe and who people who don't believe from sheeps to goats to paint a picture. And here... David uses it in Psalm 23 to describe himself in relationship to God, who is the good shepherd, okay? And if you've ever wondered why God didn't pick some other great analogy um, to make it more clear uh, about who we are and what he is, I, I suppose it would be helpful to understand that I think David, who is a shepherd um, in his life, um, writes it because it was very familiar in that culture, very immediately relatable to people who would read this. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, I've got pictures of shepherds. We don't have shepherds in Gilbert, not that I know of, all right? I'm not familiar with the way of sheep other than what I read. But they would be. David clearly was. And so it was immediately an illustration that worked and painted all sorts of pictures in the minds of the hearers. But the other thing is that, and you've heard me tell you this before, the reason why this analogy works so well is because we really are a lot like sheep. I mean, you might take offense to that. I'm, I'm sorry, but, but it's, it's true. So let me just describe you for a second of what you're like <laughs> and using a sheep to describe it. But um, sheep basically can do nothing for themselves. That's the reality. They weren't uh, given protection devices. I mean, they, 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 uh, they have no defense. They don't have fangs. They don't have claws. They... they they don't have wings, they can't fly away, they can't run fast. I mean, they're just furry, soft little creatures meant to be eaten, all right? That's, that's why they were made, okay? And they're scared of everything. So um, are you getting the connection between what a sheep is and what you are? I, I hope so. In fact, a, a great way to understand their condition is sheep are, are so incapable, and this is no exaggeration, they are dead without a shepherd. They are incapable of sorting things out and providing for themselves or protecting themselves. So if you want to jump the, the spiritual analogy with me, it is true of us. We are spiritually, spiritually weak, aren't we? We, we, can't, um, we can't save ourselves either. We have no defense mechanisms. In fact, the Bible makes it really painfully clear um, that there is no one righteous and therefore... There is no one that can do any good, and we've all sinned, and the wages of that sin is death. That's what the scripture says. 
We can't feed ourselves spiritually. Romans 3 says we won't even seek after God. So even if you sorted out you had a problem, even if you got there, you wouldn't look there. Because that's what Romans says. We're so twisted and dead in our sins, we won't look for help to God. We can't uh, clean ourselves up spiritually. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said of us, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags compared to God's standard. There is no fix in this thing. And we're scared of everything. I'm scared of little planes in Alaska. You're scared of sickness. Scared of what happens to your children. Scared of what happens to your job. Scared of what the election does. You're scared. Everyone's got fear. Everyone's got different versions of fear. So the sheep description is a perfect description, as, as is the shepherd to, to our father. So let me just take a little bit of time and, and spend on these first four verses of Psalm 23. And here's what I prayed would happen. That one, we would clearly get a good look at ourselves. But more important than that, and this is what I really care about, is that you leave here understanding a better picture of God. So that in your trouble, so that in all these stories and all these articles that are blasting into my iPhone, I will not feel like it's out of control. That he's in control, okay? So let's read it and let's pray together. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, I thank you for uh, the truth of these words. They clearly declare that there's a weakness in us, a lack of ability in us, a, um, a need. And it clearly describes that you are our answer. We came here today because we believe that, God, but there are still troubles, there's still stress, there's still hurts and pains that we're dealing with that we might need a clearer perspective on. I pray that you would use these four verses to open our eyes to you that you might receive all praise, glory, and honor, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It couldn't start out a psalm any better than the Lord is my shepherd, right? Done. The Lord is my shepherd. Wonderful, beautiful picture. I shall not want. When I first read that, I looked at that and said, well, I kind of like that sentence too. Because it reads like, if he's my shepherd, I can get whatever I want. That's how this is going to work out. If he's my shepherd... In fact, there isn't any wants that I will identify because he'll have met them all. Well, if that's your take, if it was like mine when I first read it, then, then that's not what David means. So there's a better rendering of I shall not want. You ready? I shall not lack is what David is referring to. Now, maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's more helpful. Um, but if I'm honest, I prefer still this idea of I, I have these needs and I want. And I'm not talking about selfishness. It's not like I'm sitting around going, help me win the Powerball, help me win the Powerball, help me win the Powerball. That's not what I'm talking about. Legitimate things that we all deal with that seem reasonable to expect that the shepherd would meet. God, I just pray that my cancer, my cancer would go away, that I would go to the doctor and they would take that scan and it would show up negative and I'd be free because I've got children I've got to care for and I, I don't have time for this sickness. God, I, have a, I need a job. I got to provide. I got three kids and a wife and a mortgage, and I, I don't need to be rich, but Lord, can you just provide employment? That's what I need. Or God, I have these issues. 
Like, I don't want to act this way, and I don't want to be that person, and I recognize it, and Lord, just take, just take those things away. God, I want my parents to stop fighting. Please don't let them get a divorce. Those, all those things and many, many more seem reasonable, don't they? Seem like the kinds of things that I should cry out to God with and say, God, just jump in here and fix this right, right now. But here's the reality of what David understood of God and what you need to understand of God. God, David is not saying that if, if God is your shepherd, that you can get whatever you want, including the things that you consider legitimate. David's point is that God's sheep never lack anything that he thinks is good for us. And there's a big difference between what I think I need and what he thinks I need. And I know some of you have walked enough with, with Jesus to, to be able to put this somewhere in a file like it fits in your theology. But the reality is that God can bring all sorts of things and use all sorts of things, even the trouble, to produce a wonderful thing called transformation in us. In fact, I think he doesn't transform us without it. And uh, that's where this thing fits. That God, the shepherd, he is committed to giving us whatever he thinks is good to us and good for us. So there is a recognition in, in, in David's mind that we have to say, church, as the sheep, God knows what he's doing and what he's doing is always good. Can you say that? E even though this cancer or this joblessness, even though this need might feel like, oh, this is pain and it hurts and whatever, you push it far enough and you end up with a good God who knows what he's doing, right? Shake your head. Okay, second thing, he says in verse two, he makes me lie down. I don't know if you know this, but sheep by nature are a very nervous animal, anxious and worried, okay? Uh, and they will not lie down if they're nervous or scared, only when at peace. So th David is not saying here that the shepherd forces the sheep to lie down no matter how they're feeling. Like, I know you're nervous, get down. That's not how this lays out, okay? It is that the shepherd's presence has such a calming effect on the sheep that they just go, ah, he's here. He's here. It's all good. So, so get this. This peace that David's referring to, that the scriptures reinforce a thousand times over, isn't a forced peace. It's not a fabricated, made-up peace. It's real. It's real because it's anchored in the person of God and his character and what he's promised to do for his people. He, he is all wise and all knowing. He has the power to do anything and everything. He is sovereign over all stories. He is good and he loves his people. And that narrative says a better word, right? It brings a peace. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul talked about this peace in Philippians 4. Now, this is an imperative to hang on to your hats for this one, church. Do not be anxious. If that was all he said, I'd be better off. But this is what he says about anything anything. Don't be anxious about my suffering. Don't be anxious about my marriage. Don't be anxious about my income. Don't be anxious about anything, he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This is an understanding of God that brings a peace that is uncomprehendable. Do you get it? Like, I don't... That doesn't happen naturally. It happens supernaturally. That is the presence of the shepherd in a sheep's life. I know so much about him that it changes how I feel about it. Okay. He makes me lie down where? David says in green pastures. 
for a sheep. I can only assume because I've never been a sheep, but my assumption is green pastures for a sheep mean satisfaction and joy, right? It's like me and the dinner table. That's my satisfaction. That's my joy. Growth happens here. Strength happens here. Rest happens here. That's what God provides for his sheep. That's what God does in this wonderful book, by the way. He takes these words, these true words that have, have power to transform lives. And you read it, you hear it, and it does something, doesn't it? Initially, here's what it did. It took a heart that was a heart of stone and totally melted it. Totally crushed it in a good way. That's how all of us came to Christ. Somewhere in, in our little story narrative, he arrived with his word. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And he spoke that word to my heart, to your heart, and he opened up our blind eyes. He does it through the word. He provides for his sheep there. He provides for his sheep in this mystery thing we called preaching. He provides for it in you gathering with other believers and talking about your faith and talking about your struggles. He, he does it all the, the time. He does it when you're chasing hard after him because he promises if you seek him, you'll find him if you seek him with all your heart. Here's how he shows up. The green pastures are in all of these things that he's put in place for your growth and understanding, for your heart and your demeanor, right? So I suppose it's worth stopping and asking a question. Would you describe your experience right now as the opposite of strength and rest? Like if you were just saying, this is how I feel, like I don't have a lot of peace right now, I don't have a lot of rest right now, then I have to ask this question. How are you doing on the green pastures? Because it's connected. Green pastures, by that I mean word, prayer, people, and pursuit. If, you, if you're just going through your life and you have disengaged from the word and you've disengaged from God's people and you're not pursuing him and you're not in prayer and suddenly trouble comes and you're nervous as a sheep, are you surprised? If you're disengaged from the green pastures, you're, you're going to be that person. But here's the reality. David says, your presence makes me lie down in these true things forever. Verse 2, he leads me beside still waters. In, in uh, Alaska, I know Will's here, but on the first, I think it was the first night we got there, we walked up to, the, uh, to this big river. I don't even know what the name of the river is. About two and a half mile hike. And uh, it's a torrent. Like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, this, this snow melt is gushing down this funnel. And there's about, in one location, probably 50 feet drop where the water just falls. And it is just loud. You stand on the edge, it's just loud, right? And we have to get close to each other to, to, to talk, to, to share some things. Sheep won't go there to drink. It scares them. Okay, so just picture that. These are the still waters where the shepherd shows up in still places. And, and the reality of sheep, too, not only are they scared of the noise, which is kind of what's out there for us as believers, but um, we don't even know how to find the still places. The sheep don't either, but the shepherd does. And, and, and so the good shepherd leads them, leads these sheep to life and refreshment, a still pool where they can drink. So... so I, I know I've confessed to you before, but I'm, I'm way more of a mechanic than I ever am a pastor because by nature, I'm prone to try to fix it. 
okay? And, and so when tr- trouble or stress or, or issues show up, I'm always trying to answer the question, like, what do we got to do? What should we stop doing? What do we add? What do we subtract? I'm always trying to answer questions. I do not, by nature, rest well. I, I do more labor than I, than I rest well. But here's the reality of what I've learned from my shepherd. Sometimes he leads me there, sometimes without my cooperation. You ever been there? And here's how he does it, a couple of ways. One is, sometimes the good shepherd says, you want it? Go get it. Go be the mechanic to him. Try to fix it. You can't. Go get exhausted. Go try. Go ruin things. Go, go upset people. Go do that and see how that works for you. Maybe you should rest. Sometimes he leaves us no option. But here's his agenda, and it's always been his agenda. Life, rest, and peace. That is what our shepherd is doing in our life, okay? And nothing else. So if you're looking at your circumstances and your stories, and what you would put over to the narrative is it's trouble and it's pain, then you have to reinterpret that as a place that God is taking you for his rest, okay? So we'll get to that in just a minute. But that's what this little phrase means. Verse 3, David says, he restores my soul. The word restore is the word to right or to lift up. Um, when a sheep tips over, um, it's called a cast sheep. Now, uh, when, when I was in Alaska, Pat Feenster flew me around to an alien mountain. And at the top of this mountain, we were looking for doll sheep, these kind of obscure, can't see them very often, white sheep, mountain sheep. And on, I swear, it was like an 80-degree angle. There's two herds of sheep just on the side of this cliff, okay? But if sheep tip over, they don't have the capacity to right themselves. They, they, they need help. So... so I hope you kind of get the spiritual picture. A sheep tip over, struggling and flailing about, trying to sort out the problems. And, and here's the reality. If the shepherd doesn't come to the rescue, the sheep die. That's a gospel sentence. If we don't have Jesus leave heaven and come to this earth to take on flesh, we all are dead. There is no hope, Okay? We can't right ourselves, and that's what the Savior did. And by the way, let me just kind of rephrase that. Not only is that what the Savior did, it's what the Savior does every single day of our lives. He writes us. I mean, most of us, when we think about being lifted up or rescued, we go back to that day, that moment years ago, maybe months ago, where we said, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I believe Jesus is the one and only way like he says he is. He's the narrow way to life and I'm gonna believe and trust in Jesus by faith. I'm gonna repent of my sins. I'm coming home. That's what I do. And most of us think about this rescue as a one-time act. But church, let me give you another bigger picture. The rescue of Jesus is every single day from yourselves and your flesh and your perpetual, perpetual problems and your tendencies to make a bigger mess of things. He's rescuing all, all the time. That's what he does, and that's what he is doing for our transformation. Transformation. He's rescuing us. Verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Uh, when you read that, it's, I, think, I think it's fair to kind of imply something here. It paints a picture in my mind of this really kind of calm, um, meandering shepherd out in front of the sheep and the sheep are just kind of moving their way wherever he's going. But that's not the picture here, okay? So, so stop thinking about sheep just kind of meandering behind a shepherd. Think about cattle drive because that's really what it means to be led, okay? 
It is the role of the shepherd to make the sheep uncomfortable enough to move where the shepherd thinks is best for them. Like, like here's the reality. They're not going to move on their own. And if you understand this spiritually speaking, that one sentence will change your perspective of suffering and pain and trouble in your world. If you really believe that he is kind of making you uncomfortable enough to get you to a place that's best for you from his vantage point, then it'll change how you feel about things. So let me, let me ask you a question or maybe a series of questions. What if, I mean, just play this with me. What if God had some, somewhere special to take you, but you just wouldn't go? What, what if in his mind he has some, and these are all good words, what if he has some repentance for you to navigate? But you just won't go. You think the offense is too great. You, you think the sin that, that brought about this sin in you, you know, that's typically how sin works. Someone sins against me, I sin against them. It's tit for tat. That's how it works. But you believe that the offense against you is great enough to be unrepentant about yours, and so God wants to take you there, but you won't go. What, what if there is um, some form of obedience or some growth that he wants to do, some joy he wants to set before you? But you like where you are. You're comfortable. You're fat and sassy right in your spot. And you don't want to go where God wants to take you. And so you just hold up. What would God do? What, what, if, what if the suffering that the scriptures clearly say is a part of the, the Christian experience, what, what if the suffering is God's leading? What if it's his cattle drive in your heart to get you where he knows is best for you? What, what if you becoming like Jesus requires that you have to experience that? I think you know the answers to all that stuff. In wisdom and sovereignty, God's plan, what he knows of me, what he knows I need, sometimes it comes the hard way, right? We'll get to the first sentence of verse four in just a second, but this is what he says. An outcome is in verse four, I will fear no evil. And then he finishes with your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is only one possible way that that can be true. It's the presence of the shepherd changes everything. And I suppose I should stop and put a pause here for some of you in the room who by your own declaration would say, I don't know Jesus like you do or like they do. I know the historical figure, but I've never come in repentance and faith. He's not the Lord of my life. Then my, my guess is that you probably do fear a lot. But I'm gonna tell you what David knows and what we know. The presence of the shepherd makes a difference. He brings change. So just answer the question, where's the shepherd in your life? You know, um, when I was growing up, the rod had a totally different meaning for my father than what David means here. The rod corrected bent behavior in a very aggressive way. Um, but here, I mean, you can make the mistake of thinking, well, this, this, this shepherd is kind of really moving the sheep with force, and that's not the picture at all. The rod clearly was a protective mechanism to keep the unwanted enemies away from his sheep, but for the most part, as, they, as he led them to better places, the shepherd would lay the rod across the back of the sheep, and the sheep would know his presence, and they'd just go, he's here. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They don't scare me. They bring perspective. They change everything when I know you're in it. I don't need to worry about those particular circumstances. 
So let me finish with a couple of thoughts. And, and I know I've said this before, but please do not miss this. Do you notice how personal this text is? There is not a we, us, or they in it. It's only my, me, and I. This is David and his, and his shepherd. That's who this is about. And David is giving it to us, the sheep of God, okay? So, so leave here with this understanding, with the perspective of your trouble in the midst of it, okay? God's care for you is personal and it's precise. It's not arbitrary, He's not busy someplace else. It's right on point. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what stresses us. And he loves you beyond your wildest dreams. David knew that. I suppose the question to answer is, do you? Now, when I read this short little four verses, I love verses one through three. That's why it shows up on fridge magnets and bumper stickers. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But here, there's a verse four, and I do have a problem with verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why does that have to be there? Why, why, why did somebody, why did David have to put the valley of the shadow of death in here? We were doing so, so good, you know? Um, why do we have to go through those dark times and places? Why is it so confusing right now? Why does my phone blow up? Why, why does the email just get littered with sickness and hurt? Well, and you got to hang on to this. The reason the sheep are going to the valley of death is because the shepherd is leading us to it. And sometimes we have a perspective that the shadow of death is the antithesis to what God would be doing. And I'm telling you, it is what God is doing. And you got to hang on to this, okay? Sometimes God is leading us through those places. Now, you remember the, the nature of sheep, right? They don't look for change. In fact, if you put them in a field of grass, they'll eat the grass to the point they end up eating the dirt. They won't move. They don't even change pastures on their own. So, so just think about that. You won't change. You won't go. You won't pr proceed and move forward in your own development or benefit. So, so the really important question to, to answer in light of the beginning of verse 4 is why? Why would God lead us to the valley of the death? Why the pain? Why the cancer? Why the trouble? Why the hurt? Why the hard way? Because here's the reality, and I want you to hear it and let it ring, like keep ringing, because God is taking you to a better place. That's the reality. He's taking you to a better place. And I know nobody wants to be in the valley of the shadow of death, neither do I. I vote all the time no for that. But God's doing something bigger. I don't understand. And he's leading us to a better place, and it goes through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows what's best, doesn't he, church? Do you believe that? Do you believe he knows you? So if he knows you and he knows what's best and you admit that you don't, that's what he's doing. He is taking us to a better place based on his wisdom. I, I don't know who wouldn't want to stay in verses one through three. And I have yet to met any, meet anybody who votes for verse four, but you have to understand this. These green pastures that we rest in aren't separated by cute white picket fences. They're separated always by these dark valleys. That's our life. That's why it's here today and gone tomorrow. That's why it's always being a part of, part of our experience. God is so for us and into us that he's going to make sure that we get to those green pastures again. And by the way, our God is not going to point to it and say it's over there. Here's what David says. 
for you are with me. Who goes with us through the darkness? Who's in every story? Our good shepherd is, right? He's there. And where is the better place that he's leading us? Let me just give you a phrase and I'll define it. Total transformation and joy. That's his agenda. Total transformation and joy. This is how David says it in verse three. Paths of righteousness for his namesake. And you have heard it here for many, many years. There's another way to say this. For your growth and his glory. That's paths of righteousness for his namesake. You to change, become like Jesus, and for him to show off, to be on display as the God of glory. That's what this is all about, according to David. And we have to wrap our minds around this, that one of the paths of righteousness is the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know when, and I wouldn't vote yes, but he's in charge. And I know this, that I have done more growth in my life through failure than success. And, and I'm certain we learn things about the scope of our God and the reality of our faith every time we go under something that we don't have an answer for, okay? Some of God's strongest moments in transforming us comes not in those green pastures or good times, but in this verse four experience. God, only God could take the good and the bad, the difficulty, the pain, the stress and everything and produce in us a good work, right, church? Amen? So, he sees these dark valleys completely opposite of how we see them. He sees dark valleys only as what they produce in his sheep. Okay? So what they produce in us, according to the text, is faith and hope and peace and trust and joy. That's why James said in his little epistle, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith will develop what? perseverance, endurance, and the goal so the man and woman of God will not lack anything. That's what he's doing, and here's why. Because we have a good shepherd, amen? Amen, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this reminder of what we are like and therefore our needs. I thank you for Jesus, who is the shepherd, who has come on a rescue mission. God, give us perspective. Give us a kingdom perspective to know that you're doing a good work in our lives and in this world, even when we're confused, even when we don't understand, I pray, God, we'd, we would trust in you that you always do what's right and best and you're always good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.